On this episode of Tamarindo, we are going to talk about fat phobia and diet culture with Virgie Tovar, who is an author, activist, and one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers on weight-based discrimination and body image. This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. Hello, amigos. Welcome. Hola a todos. ¿Cómo estás, Brenda? Doing good, doing good. So uh, we are going to dive right into this fantastic episode. But first, we want to tell you all that uh, it means so much to us when you write us a review. So we have a joint matraca to our fabulous listeners. That's all of you and all of you that have taken the time to write us a review. Uh, review such as this one from Shea Bay on Apple Podcasts. And this is what she says. I am here for the Latinx representation and all the positivity that these women bring. We can spur each other on as we pursue justice and there's room to reír en lo que navegamos las cosas difíciles del mundo. Oh, love it. And we want to hear from more of you. So if you love what you're hearing, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share an episode with a friend. It just means so much to us. Yes, I love that review so much. That's exactly what we try to do. Um, and that's actually what our guest today tries to do as well. Uh, we also want to give a matraca to our supporters. Thank you so much to some of our recent donors. We've got Delia, Lucy, Eric, Catherine and Vicky. Matraca to all of you. Thank you so much. And if you're able to support Tamarindo with a one-time contribution, big or small, you're helping us to keep the matracas going. Go to tamarindopodcast.com or the link in our bio on our Instagram at tamarindopodcast. Yes, thank you so much for reminding people that they could do that. Uh, we will never have episodes that are behind a paywall. We love to bring these great conversations right into your ears. And if you've got $5, $20, $50, whatever you've got to contribute to Tamarindo, it really, really means a lot to us. You can go to our website, Go to the tab that says support us. There's so many ways to support us, mostly free ways to support us. And uh, that's it. We just want to tell you to do that because we, we got to remind you all that it means so much. And we are going to go right into our conversation with Virgie Tovar, who is an author, activist, and one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers on weight-based discrimination and body image. She is also the host of the Transmitter Media Podcast, Rebel Eaters Club. So make sure you check that podcast out. And... As me, someone who is actively unlearning to say I'm fat 10 times a day, which is something that I've probably been doing subconsciously and unconsciously for as long as I can remember, I really felt like this conversation was extremely, extremely powerful and a great place to start to unlearn all of that. So you are going to hear Virgie and Anna Shayla connect fat phobia to colonialism. You're going to understand the ways that fat phobia shows up and you're going to learn how diet culture can be so damaging and it's so omnipresent. You'll also hear some fascinating connections between diet culture and rape culture too. And I think you will also learn that Virgie is a plantita mom and she's got some great lessons to share with all of us about being a plantita mom. Yes, she does. <laughs> what were some other highlights? I loved the conversation so much. There was just so many, so many facets to it. And I think anyone can really resonate with what Virgie had to share with us. 
I loved it. And, you know, prior to this interview, I was reflecting on the importance of, of Virgie's work from my own personal perspective. Over the last several years, I've been questioning and learning and rewiring so much of what has been instilled in me growing up and really also reflecting on why I've struggled so much to be fully myself and feel more free. And recently I was listening to this podcast episode with Sonia Renee Taylor, who I absolutely recommend you follow, listen to her, listen to this podcast episode. We'll include in the notes. She just captured it so well. She shared how we've built a world around the belief that we're not enough. You know, we'll be worthy when I'll be enough when I'll have quote unquote made it when. And she shares that we're on this hierarchical body ladder. And, and of course, who's at the top, right? Able-bodied white cis straight men bodies who also often happen to have intergenerational wealth. And they use our current model of capitalism and patriarchy to govern us. And so for me, that was kind of a light bulb. You know, of course, we've spent most of our lives not feeling enough, especially if we're not any of those things and will never be any of those things that I've mentioned. So what she really argues is that we just have to blow up this ladder and get rid of it and stop trying to climb it. And I think the work that Virgie does is part of this hard work of blowing that ladder up. And it's interesting because even during the interview, I have a quick example of how internalizes this in us. I used the word uh, unapologetic at one point to describe Virgie and what she does. I've also used it to describe my girlfriend Kim the other day and so many people and I was using it in a positive uh, way, right? But unapologetic means to not acknowledge or express regret. But why would we need to apologize or express regret for being ourselves unless... In being ourselves, we were somehow guilty of doing something that was less than good. And for me, I was like, oh, shit. I heard Lizzo uh, talking about this upon unapologetic and why she didn't use it. And in this example, and it, for me, I was like, oh, shit. It's so internalized how we're, we believe we're less than all the time. ¿verdad? So, uh, yes, I, I've seen that like there's lots of empowerment and saying like, I'm unapologetically Latina or I'm yes. unapologetically bold and et cetera. Yes. And it has been sort of used as a positive. But what you're saying is that even the need to think that we need to apologize for who we are is a is a problem, right? Like we shouldn't yeah. even need to be right. excited to unapologize. To, to, yeah, that's that is deep. <laughs> that is deep. Right. And and I think you, I see how, how it's very much connected to the conversation with Virgie because uh, the work that she's doing is really just about uh, we've mentioned this before we've mentioned it in other places it's just about just be right? mm -hmm. <laughs> let people be and be and celebrate being yes. I love it I love it so uh, we're going to get right into it because this, it is a gem of a conversation so uh, no more delay here let's just go right into the conversation with Virgie Tovar Yeah, so I would love if maybe you could start with um, sharing with our listeners, how, how do you describe um, what you do in, in this world and in, in your mission and, and how you help us, you know, seek liberation in, in a way? Yeah, I mean, I I think of my work as primarily focused on ending fat phobia. And for people who maybe don't know that word, it's a form of discrimination that says that fat people are inferior intellectually, physically, health-wise, you know, and in every kind of category. And there's a long history of where that comes from, that attitude comes from, but the things that you name-checked are a 
very central to that history. I think of myself as kind of a, like a creative, someone who just really loves to be able to share that message in whatever medium feels right. Like if it's writing, if it's video, if it's photographs, it's, if it's like, you know, my like on the go performance art of eating donuts in public, you know? And I think, I think the other thing that really, it's very intuitive to me, but I've noticed other people have commented on this is like, I, think of the revolution and justice and like the world that we're working towards as fun and beautiful. And I think I bring that ethos into my work. Right. And I think there's like Mm. different, like activism, politics, justice work has different tones. And I think all of them are really important, right? You've got like the tone of sobriety, you've got the tone of urgency, you've got all these different beautiful spectrum of human tones. And And the tone that I bring is like really, unadulterated like joy and effervescence and I kind of think of it as like you know I'm like we do justice like the world a just world like a world with more justice is a world Mm -hmm. that is joyful yes Um, and so like you know I love being able to almost like forecast that vibe like I'm like you know I'm like I'm channeling that vibe of that world that I think that we can we can create together you know Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And that's something that we try to sort of bring into Tamarindo as well Is like we can bring in joy yes. to, to the work of just of, of social justice and revolution. Yeah. Like it, it's essential, right? Yeah. There's this myth that you can kind of control your body indefinitely. Right. And that is about colonialism. And when people of color enact colonialism on their own bodies, they get rewarded, not just from society, but, but from that internalized sense that we're subjugated, that internal sense of subjugation gives us that emotional thumbs up. Right. And I think like, so there's this, Mm -hmm. there's this amazing um, scholar named Judith Butler. And I'm sure that like many people have heard of her, but she kind of talks about like, she talks about getting that nod from society and like how that that's so important to the human spirit. Even if you know society is trash, even 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 if you know the rules are garbage and you know the game is rigged, like society is still really important to all of us because it's like our it's like an extension of our family. And so when you're getting that nod, that like that pat on the back, like oh, you know, you're doing your role the right way. And that's what that nod is about. And like when people of color enact that colonial act on ourselves, we get that nod from society. Right. Oh my God. I feel like my brain just like exploded right now. Just reflecting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's totally, I, I love that. Thinking of society as an extension of our family. That's so real. I mean, I use the metaphor of, sorry, I, mean, I don't mean to like railroad the whole conversation, but it's like, I, I often am like, think of society rather than thinking of it as something that's outside of you that you're like, I see you, you're poop garbage. I'm not interested. Like think of it more as like recognizing that you have a toxic family. Just because you know you have a toxic family doesn't mean that you stop caring about what they think of you. It doesn't mean you stop like having a connection to them. It's just a recognition of a layer, you know? Right. That's such an excellent metaphor. And it's like, how can I redefine my relationship and how can I create my boundaries with this family? Yes. Yes. Can you, can you speak about how you define uh, diet culture and, and what it represents? Yeah. I mean, 
Like diet culture is, I mean, I have kind of a formal definition that I use and then I think it's useful to kind of walk it back and, and talk about the characteristics of it. So diet culture is just kind of like the ubiquitous reality that we cannot escape messaging that says that losing weight and being thin at pretty much any cost is a really positive thing. Um, And I mean, obviously it's characterized by a multi-billion dollar industry, like a diet industry, but it's also represented in, I think the inescapable nature of it is what makes it a culture. Because I mean, like literally, if you kind of tune in, you can't even go a day without seeing or hearing messaging that shames bigger bodies and applauds weight loss and thin bodies. I mean, it's even like the, like literally, you know, I love bubbly water and like LaCroix, like probably the most popular bubbly water in the country at this point, it has the word innocent written on every single can. Like this idea, it's like zero calories, zero sweeteners, innocent. And that kind of like that word innocent is, is religious. It's almost biblical. It definitely has to do with morality and that messaging around, like, you know, if you do this, then you are innocent. If you don't do this, then you are of course, by extension guilty. That's the corollary of innocence. And so the way that diet culture looks is like, there's a lot of normalization of behaviors that are in fact, what I would call not normal and not wellness promoting. Like, first of all, the idea that not eating is like a positive thing or not the idea that being full or eating too much, quote unquote, makes you like a bad person. I think there's, there's other things like this idea that, you know, people get complimented all the time, like weight is used as like a metric of giving people compliments. It's a way of people connecting. Right. And so I think about Mm -hmm. the fact, like I work with so many people and they're like, you know, it's so triggering to hear the phrase, like, it looks like you lost weight because first of all, it's, it's indicating a fat phobic attitude, right? Like, Oh, it's, it's understood that this question is a compliment. And then there's, so there's that, right. There's this idea that like, there's a right way to have my body and a wrong way to have my body. And the second thing it does is it makes people feel like they're being surveilled, like people are watching them and monitoring their body size and changing their attitude and their behavior and their summation of a person based on their weight. I think there's a third element of like, it's just a violation of privacy. Somebody's body size is their business. Like, and I think that there's kind of this like idea that body size is part of the public domain. Like we get to watch other people lose weight, gain weight, change sizes, and that we have the right to have feelings and comment on Mm -hmm. it, which is just absurd. And I think the next thing, one of the things I've, I've learned so much in working with people around this issue is a lot of people who hear that feedback often it's because they're in the depths of an eating disorder. It's like, I mean, I remember speaking to a woman who she had developed a meth addiction as a way to control her weight. And she was like in the depths of an uncontrollable addiction and people were just complimenting her every day on how good she looked. I think about the people I know who have gastrointestinal distress or they have a really intense chronic illness and they lose weight because their, their body is eating away at itself um, as, as a way to try and survive. And people are telling these people they look amazing. I mean, I was just talking to somebody whose husband lost a bunch of weight because he's been so anxious during COVID that he just like, that's how his body responds to anxiety. And, he, and getting that sense of, of like, 
praise in the midst of like one of the hardest emotional moments for him in his life. It's just, and I, and I think like that's kind of what's right under the surface of diet culture. It's like that idea that no matter what, if you lose weight or you're thin, you are a better person. You're a more attractive person. You're a more successful person. And if you're a higher weight person or you gain weight or whatever, like you have quote unquote, let yourself go. You're someone who's mm-hmm. less appealing. You're someone who's, and, and I, like, I think the last thing I want to say is the dimension of when it comes to like access to love and dating, um, fat phobia manifests in all these different ways, like less access to romantic relationships, less access to respect and dignity, like less access to jobs, um, and income, like plus size women on average make $9,000 to $19,000 less per year than their straight size counterparts. And there's just all of these dimensions that really show up. Like the, the discrimination really does have impacts in people's lives. But I think in the romantic domain, this idea that weight loss by any means is going to mean that you're going to get access to love is very, very, very toxic. And it motivates a lot of people's really, you know, self-destructive eating behavior. Yeah, so harmful. It's and it's and it's crazy because I feel like we just have not spent enough time talking about this. Like we've spent so much time talking, talking about other types of discrimination, but I feel like we're so early in the way that we talk about this, at least, at least how it's felt for me. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think really in this country, it's, there's still the the widely held belief that you can't, that anyone can and everyone should become a thin person. And at the end of the day, the, the, science just doesn't, that just isn't true. Right. Like, I mean, so like, I, I think the statistic is really important, right? Like the chances of oh, a fat woman or like a higher weight woman, like long-term becoming a thin person, a thin woman is less than 1%. It's 0.8%. And then for men, that statistic is like closer to 02 so that's what the the science is unequivocal. You will not you will you can find a million papers, a thousand papers, mm-hmm. like a thousand academic papers on how being thin is better for you. You will not find any you will not find any academic papers that say that you can become a thin person forever if you're a fat person. Like because it just mm-hmm. isn't true. Like, I think what's hard is like that, you know, that statistic or that, that finding that thin people live longer, better lives is like what the the medical world and our culture are really clinging to, you know, but, but, but I would argue the more important data point is that there's just really not a way for that to happen. And, and certainly like longitudinally, right? Like, and I think what really people have to realize is you're either going to have to accept that body diversity is a real and beautiful part of being a person, or you're going to spend your whole life slowly but surely degrading your mental health and possibly also your physical health in the attempt to have a body that you weren't born to have. And so I think people see the choices like, oh, I'm either going to be I'm either going to be fat and like be discriminated against, or I'm going to be thin and have everything. The reality is that's not what's on the table. That's not the option. The real option is I'm either going to celebrate and accept my body and accept that it's like part of a human garden of bodies, or I'm going to destroy myself. Those are the real options. Oh my God. Thank you. (laughs) That's all I can say right now. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Virgie. Virgie. 
don't feel like sitting in a waiting room right now? Plant Parenthood has got you covered as a leader in using new technologies to provide high-quality health care in ways that fit your life. Through Plant Parenthood's virtual appointments, you can get high-quality, affordable care your way by phone or video. Trusted providers will listen, give information, and support you in all of your health care decisions. Planned Parenthood's telehealth appointments are high-quality, affordable, and private, just like in-person visits. Whether you need help with birth control, a prescription refill, or other sexual or reproductive care services, skip the waiting room and get the care you need when you need it. Planned Parenthood takes the stress out of health care and is ready when you are. Check out PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo to learn more and book a virtual appointment. That's PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo. Are there dreams that you're still afraid to chase? A small business that has you feeling stuck? Transformational coaches Harry Lopez and our very own Ana Sheila Victorino are kicking off the Launch Latinx Accelerator Program. This is a 90-day transformational coaching program for aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, creators, and side hustlers who want to grow their business and amplify their impact in their communities with talented, hungry, visionary Latinx leaders from all over the country. The virtual program is launching on February 25th, and it's a mixture of one-on-one and group-style coaching workshops and inspiring speakers. You take one particular project that you want to take from inception to launch during the program. You get accountability buddies. We do a lot of inner work to really help you overcome some of those obstacles that are stopping you from really playing full out. And we help you start to really let go of que va a decir la gente and really calling forward what you most desire. So to learn more about the program, go to launchlatinx.co. Once again, that is launchlatinx.co. Make sure you mention Tamarindo podcast when you apply and apply by February 14th. All right, we're back with Virgie after she just laid down all the wisdom, all the, I don't even know, like I was just open mouth with with, with everything that you just shared, Virgie. It, it's incredible, like, what you're what you're doing and 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 I'm curious like how you how you got to this point and like what's your your journey been I grew up as a fat kid in a fat family my grandparents raised me uh, my mother's parents so they're immigrants from Mexico and like when I look at pictures of my like my ancestors, like my great grandparents and things like that. And even my grandparents and my parents, like I have the same body that they have, you know? So I think about like for years, um, I tried to change that body. I tried to make it into a different kind of body. And it's like, there's sort of like all these levels of sadness around that, just sort of like the sense that I wasn't enough, but specifically that, you know, our bodies are archives of our bloodline and they're archives of not just like these physical attributes, but like they're archives of like all of the things that our bodies and like all human life has learned throughout time. And, and I think this idea that like we can, the the hubris and the, the pretentiousness and like the absurdity of saying that like, I am going to, eat a certain way or move a certain way in order to erase the entirety of like the knowledge that I've epigenetically inherited from every living creature on this planet for all time. 
right? Like when you really contextualize it as that, it's just kind of like mind boggling, right? But like, I didn't learn body shame from my family. My family was like really loving and I was always encouraged to eat. I was always encouraged to eat as much as I want and eat and eat until I was full. So I didn't have like that fat shaming or the food shaming element in my home. And then there was sort of a a turn when I was five and I was in kindergarten, um, which is actually statistically when most children in the United States like have already begun to internalize fat phobia. Like researchers have gone into kindergarten classrooms and they'll ask children if they'd rather be fat or lose a parent or if they'd rather be fat or lose an arm. And they always choose the other thing that's not being fat. And so I kind of like, I, you know, I was introduced to fat phobia by straight boys, essentially. And it's no surprise, right? Like, I think, I think when right. you, when you really understand fat phobia as a dimension of misogyny and as a dimension of rape culture, you really understand why it's straight boys who teach, who taught me fat phobia. Um, and I just, I remember like, I wrote about this in my book from 2018, you have the right to remain fat. But like, I guess the first boy who ever called me fat was the same boy who used to look up all the girls skirts. Um, and he was kind of like the boy who was just known as like, there was just like a sexual element to like everything that he did. And he was like a skirt lifter. Like, I don't, I don't know how to like, how else to put it. And, and I, I knew like, even as a child, as a little child, I knew there was a connection between him, between him looking up girl skirts and him being the first one to introduce me to fat phobia. And like, I sensed the connection of those things at that time. And, and so, you know, what I experienced from age five to essentially age 18 was daily relentless body shaming that was really like emotional abuse. It was systematic. I mean, I don't, I think like what's hard is like a lot of people call that bullying. I do not use that word to describe what, what happened. And I don't think that's what's happening to even like people right now who are experiencing what I did. Um, I mean, like essentially it's systematic abuse. Like it's like boys and people who have been emboldened by the culture to teach like people, their role in culture and society. And they are enabled by the culture, not only just ignoring it, but like promoting it. And so these boys, like, I mean, it was just day in and day out. It was very rare that even a single day would go by when someone wouldn't shame me for being fat. And I mean, as it went on, the more intense it got, and I think like, you know, it's important to note regarding that diet culture's connection to rape culture, they share quite a few characteristics uh, in common. And so the way that it was presented to me by these boys was we will stop torturing you if you lose weight. And when you lose weight, Mm -hmm. you will then become sexually attractive to us and we will then attempt to date and marry you. And so that was like, that was kind of the ultimatum that was like laid out was like, we will go from being your abuser to your husband if you do what we say. Yeah. And I think that like that straight masculinity from like abuser to husband, that like, it's like the two sides of the coin. It's just deep, right? (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, you know, that was how it was presented to me. And I think through that process, it created a real sense that like, not only was I ugly and 
like I was subhuman as a fat person, as a fat kid. And so that led to me dieting and eventually having, like I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder. I never sought diagnosis for an eating disorder because I never, like I thought as a fat person, there was no way that I had anorexia. Even in the depths of starvation, I never became a thin person. And I thought that that was evidence that I didn't have an eating disorder. And so, yeah, I was cycling through periods of essentially starvation from the ages of probably nine or 10 to about 21. You know, I think that the turning point was feminism. Um, But even then, feminism really didn't have a critique about fatness. There was a critique about body image and the way that women's bodies were commodified and the beauty ideal, but there was no room for like, and it's okay to be fat. And if you're fat, you don't have to diet. And if you're fat, that doesn't mean you're a bad feminist. There was none of that at that time. Um, And so, you know, I was learning how to set boundaries and learning to take up space and learning to seek pleasure and things like that. But I was still dieting as a feminist. And then I think, you know, a couple more chapters happened before, like I really became invested in this work. And like one of them was dating a fat positive person. I mean, it was just kind of happenstance. Like it was kind of a coincidental thing. I was not seeking that. I didn't even know I could seek that. And the opportunity just presented itself and it was really reparative. Like I think he did a lot of work around helping me feel less afraid about food. And he told me that there was nothing wrong with my body. And he told me that men don't get to decide what size my body Mm -hmm. is. And that was all revolutionary to me in my mid twenties. And then I think, you know, and then in my late twenties, I started, I started a graduate program and I started doing research on body size and gender and race. And it just led me down a rabbit hole. And I was lucky enough to find fat activism. And it was just like this beautiful like community and movement led by queer femmes who were so like bombastically like living, you know, and it just completely mm-hmm. boggled my mind. And, and I think like the specificity of like not just the liberation politics, but the joy and the cat eye sunglasses and the marabou slippers and the, like the bitch, the high bitchiness, like all of it, like really hit all my buttons. I think, as, yeah. you know, I like, love as it. A <laughs> and as like a Brown person, oh, it just like, it just hit all my buttons, you know? Yeah. It's funny because you just like shared this full journey, but like it, I feel so much joy, you know, and like, thank you so much for, for sharing. And it's so true. You really like this, that is not an an easy story to share, but there's still, you know, like the way that you share it, it's, there is that joy within it. No. Mm, I mean, yeah, I think like, I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like sit with the fact that we, like we all have, trauma, you know, and yeah. like for me it looked like this and for yeah. you it looks like that and for someone else it looks like this. And and I and you know like this idea that I don't know, like I think certainly we live in a culture that creates trauma like in a, in a way that's like next level, but I think, you know, like struggle and those kinds of things they're part of what it means to be a person. And so like really understanding that what happened to me is really terrible. And also understanding that like when I, 
you know, when I tell the story, there's a possibility for a course correction to happen, you know? Yeah. So what are some, you know, I guess, recommendations for, for people that maybe are a little bit earlier in their journey and they're still very much in the, the throes of being told all types of different things, right? And not feeling free and embracing themselves and loving themselves in the way that we all should get to. I kind of, I want to, I want to answer that question in an unusual way, um, by telling a little story. Um, so I was, I've been writing this essay called how being a plant mom has taught me everything I need to know about my body and body diversity. So I am a late to life plant parent. And like the, the first plant I, and I was always afraid that I like didn't know how to take care of plants and all this stuff. And then a few years ago, I found this little cactus. It was so tiny. It was like the size of my pinky nail. And it was like, Oh, I think I can take care of this. It's so small. And I still have him. His name is lumpy. And I think like, you know, what I learned from, getting lumpy my cactus and getting and becoming a plant parent to many more plants is like, I'm like, Oh, lumpy is round and prickly, right? Like he only needs water once a month and he likes a lot of sun and to be left alone. And then I have this other plant. It's a palm and it's tall and wispy and it likes to be watered every day. And it just has to have a very particular amount of sun. And then I have a ficus and it's got really stocky roots and these leaves that are like shiny and big. And they're kind of like precious. Like you have to be really careful about the amount of light and the amount of water. And then I think about like an orchid, right? Like super delicate. It only blooms like very rarely. You have to do so much work to keep it alive. And and I, I just kind of like, you know, when I look at all these plants, I'm like, I don't think, you know, the cactus is better than the palm. I don't think the palm is better than the cactus. I don't think the ficus is better than any of the other ones. I don't think the orchid is like problematic because it needs more. (laughs) Um, I just accept each and every one of them for the way that they look and what they need. And and I, I feel like that's what's missing from our conversation around bodies. Like, can you imagine a forest with only one kind of plant? It only looks one kind. That's like, I mean, what would you call that? I mean, that's not even a forest. That's like a clone project, you know? Yeah, so boring, like lifeless. Like Yes, totally. And it just doesn't... And it doesn't work. Like, you know, like, like insects need some, need different kinds of plants. Animals need different kind of plants. Like, you know, plant, other plants need other kinds of plants, right? Like I think about the plants Mm -hmm. on the forest floor, they need the shade of the, of the, of the taller trees. And so, I mean, I just think like, you know, we have this idea that there's the right kind of human being and that if we all look the same, then that's the best possible outcome. And it's just like, as a plant mom, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I think like, for me, it's like reorienting yourself to understanding you are not like, right. Like you don't go to somebody who looks like a cactus, like me, I'm like round and prickly, Like you don't go to a round and prickly person and say, Oh, you're just like a really short fat version of this redwood tree. So we got to turn your cactus ass into a redwood tree (laughs) and we'll know that's how you succeeded. It's like, it's just, I mean, like that's just not realistic and it's just going to harm this cactus trying to make it look like a redwood tree. And so like, right. Um, and I, I think like, that's, what's missing from like our understanding Mm -hmm. of bodies, but like, so I want to start there. Like, I think we need to change 
how we think about ourselves and how we think about our bodies and think of ourselves more as a forest than as, you know, a, like a series of clones. And then and, and to get into the brass tacks of like, you know, the, the tactical side of that, I think that looks like a lot of different things depending on who you are. Like one of them, right. one of the first things that I always recommend is start with noticing like what mm-hmm. in your life makes you have those negative feelings? What and who in your life makes you have those negative feelings about your body? And are there things or people who actually make you feel good in your body? And so when you right. just, just start noticing, right. And like, mm-hmm. and, and, and once you're done noticing, then you're like, all right, now I got to get to the work of in growing that side of the, that side of the list. That's like, these, these things and people make me feel good. And you got to start cutting down on this. Like you got to start like reducing the stuff that's in the, that's in the, like these people and things make me feel bad about my body. That's always where I start with people. Mm. And I think what's amazing is like what that's doing. It's, it's intellectual in nature, but it actually recuperates intuition. Um, because like what's missing in the diet culture conversation is pleasure is self-trust. I mean, literally diet culture is all about don't trust yourself. Do not trust your body. Do not trust your appetite. Do not listen to your appetite. Do not listen to your body because if you do bad things will happen. That is the premise Mm -hmm. of diet. That's like the moral motto of like of diet culture. And when you do this work of noticing, you're already and, and you're already beginning to notice like this feels good, this feels bad. That's the first step out of diet culture, you know. Yes. And then I think yes. another big one that I mean, I'm gonna this is the last one I'm gonna share because there's so many things I could say. But like, I think one really huge one is actually a linguistic shift that's pretty easy. I mean, I think like technically it's pretty easy. It takes practice to sort of get it down, but like stop talking about food as if it's like negative and evil and it's going to hurt you and stop using language around body. It's like, just stop commenting on people's body. Like just go on a moratorium, just go on a moratorium of like, I'm not going to comment on anybody's body for like a month and just see how it changes you. I'm not going to comment on how other people eat or I'm not going to judge how I eat or other people eat. Just try it for one month. And I mean, and and really this is just about linguistic. Like it's fine if you're having the thoughts, just don't put it outside in the world and just see how it changes things. Mm, I love that so much. Cause I think we just don't, we don't realize like how, how often we're doing it. Yeah. Right. Totally. So just this exercise of actually being intentional, maybe even keeping a journal. Yeah. Totally. Every time that you have these thoughts about other people, like I'm actually, I'm going to try this because, you know, as you've been speaking, like, I feel like I've done some work, but there's still so much work that I have to do. And so many associations that I've created in my head around like, what is healthy? What is good? What is bad that I'm still like, it's like, I'm in the like recognition stage, but there's still like the unlearning piece that I'm still very much in. Yes, totally. Well, thank you so much. I love everything that you've shared. So now we're at the stage of our uh, conversation where we like to ask a few rapid fire questions. So here we go. Our first one is what is getting your matraca right now? So this is can be a person, place or thing. It can be a concept. It could be some uh, funny or, or serious. So what, what do you want to give a shout out to? What gets your matraca? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's very personal. It's not like cultural, but right now it's my two rabbits. They're like baby Netherland dwarf <laughs> rabbits. One is named Lulu and one is named John Candy. And they're both named after like historical fat people. So Lulu Ooh. and John Candy get my matraca. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. So what's getting uh, your basura? I mean, I know it's like, I know it's not that interesting, but I'm just like a hundred percent here for like patriarchy going in the trash. Like, I mean, in all of its manifestations, it's very, very large, but that's my hope. All day, every day. (laughs) And, and I love, and I love that you, you talked about like this work can be fun and like, let's have fun fucking getting rid of the patriarchy, right? Yes. I mean, getting rid of the patriarchy is like the best party. (laughs) Right. I love that. All right. And lastly, what is getting your calma right now? What's keeping you grounded? Uh, I got to go back to my plants. Like, I mean, I yes. love being a plant parent. So I think like, <laughs> I think they help me out in that way. Yeah, I love that. I love nature. I love plants so much, but I'm a terrible plant mom. <laughs> so <laughs> I fucking suck. I suck. Like, <laughs> like, I've killed so many plants. It's so sad. I feel like it's the very first stage of like preparing to be a parent and I'm not doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, my girlfriend is an excellent plant parent and loves plants. So I'm just sort of trying, I'm sort of trying to like, hopefully just like keep, you know, getting her energy and and getting better somehow. (laughs) Yes, And you can like be a plant parent. Like if that's her power area, you can like be, you can like show up in these other ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> um, all right. So Virgie, before we let you go, is there anything, um, any last thing that you want to share with our listeners, anything that you have coming out or anything, you know, if you want to share your social, anything you want the, the people to know? before we let you go. Yeah. Um, well, I have a few books, like one from 2018 called you have the right to remain fat and 2020, um, a book came out called the self love revolution, radical body positivity for girls of color. So I, I would love if people check that out. My Instagram is at Virgie Tovar. V-I-R-G-I-E-T-O, V as in Victor, A-R. Um, and my website is virgitovar.com. I have a new project coming out in the spring of 2022. I don't think I'm allowed to like share what exactly it is, but I will definitely be announcing it on Instagram and I'm really excited about it. And the like the plant mom work like essay piece is going to be in it. And mm. um, I have a few classes that I teach. One is babe camp. Uh, it's like how to break up with diet culture. And then this other class called anti-diet work as death work, which is about grieving and mourning the loss of like, essentially like leaving diet culture and like breaking up with diet mm-hmm. culture and what that means spiritually and emotionally for people. If you go to my website, virgitovar.com, you can just go to classes and it's there. So that's what I'd like to share. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Virgie. Thank you for all of your work. This was such a pleasure. So fun and so enlightening. Muchas gracias. Wow, what a 
great conversation with Virgie. She's phenomenal. Make sure everybody follow her on all the places that she just mentioned because it's all going to be great gems for you. Yes. And uh, join us, join all of us in just trying to unlearn so much to unlearn, so much to unlearn. And uh, and I think, uh, Anna Shea, that we have a Calma practice that we want to recommend folks try uh, that we picked up from the conversation. Yes, I loved what she shared. We're going to try to do it and we're going to encourage all of our listeners to do it as well. So we'd like you all for one week to use a journal or use your phone and pay attention to every time that you judge yourself or others for what you're eating. So write it down if you can, just because you might not actually even realize how often you do this. So that's number one. And then number two, also try to pay attention to every time that you judge someone's body, good or bad. So that's what we want you to do. Write it down. And the the goal is you're going to have these thoughts. But number one is being more mindful of them. And, and two, maybe stopping yourself from actually speaking them out loud because that already starts to make a difference. So that's it. Yeah, try that. One of the ways that it shows up, you might not even realize, but even like, for example, saying things like, oh, you know, I went on an extra walk today, so I earned this Girl Scout mm-hmm. cookie. <laughs> There's no earning Girl Scout right. cookies. <laughs> or, or um, yeah, or, or even just like commenting on anybody's body, positive or negative, in whatever way you think. It just like see how you can refrain from speaking about bodies so this is yeah really important work that y'all could try with all of us and let's see how we do and again you can always let us know if you've got ideas or how things are going you can reach out to us at contact at tamarindopodcast.com we love to hear from all of you so with that uh, that brings us to the end of the show so ponte un suéter everybody bye y'all bye Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI 220099.